1: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show! My name is Taylor Rockwell. I am excited to talk about a whole lot of Major League Soccer. If you, like me, have not been doing a particularly good job of keeping up with the league this season, then this episode is for you. That said, if you have done a good job of keeping up with the league, hopefully it will still be for you. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at every team in the playoffs, giving you some things to look for on the tactical side, but also reasons to be excited about each and every team. We shall do our best here with me to provide. All that information are two friends. First up is a man who cares an awful lot about the regular season, loves the the supporter shield, and thinks we all should too. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe.
0: I do. I'm printing really long business cards with all of that directly (laughs) on the front and then just my name and number on the back. That's how I'm introducing
1: myself to everyone now at this point. I hope you're including the the stumble that I included there in that business card as well.
0: oh uh, yeah, it's just a little like yeah. glitch in yeah. maybe an extra space or an extra little comma.
1: It's in there, Taylor. Don't worry. It's the details, Joe. It's the details That's I right. appreciate. Rounding out our crew is a man
2: who loves him some playoffs. I think it's Graham Ruthman. Hi, Graham. Hi, Taylor. Yeah, this is this is when the season gets serious for me. You know the meme. Of the guy sitting back playing FIFA on the PlayStation or the Xbox or whatever it is, and then he leans forward when things yes. are for real. That's <laughs> me when the MLS playoffs come around. Uh, and do you know how that? You know that the MLS Cup is is a, is a bigger trophy than Supporters Shield. Oh boy, the MLS Cup has has never been handed over um, when it's actually just a repurposed Captain America shield, like I think the <laughs> Philadelphia <laughs> Union did two years ago. We- That's how you know.
1: We had a question about that. I had completely forgotten that one. I cannot remember why that happened. Maybe we'll have to do an entire episode about it. Unless, Joe, do you remember why they had a Captain America shield? I just think that, and we sort of talked about this last week when I mentioned that LAFC won the shield but didn't actually
0: get to lift it because Mm. it it wasn't there. I think it was a similar situation for the union where they'd won, they'd clinched it, but MLS wasn't you know, waiting on standby to hand it off to them. They were going to have to wait till the next weekend or whatever it was. And so they improvised. That's my recollection, (laughs) but I'll have to go back and read
2: more about that Because that was a great moment, Graham. This this is a league with a $2 billion broadcast deal. Have multiple trophies, (laughs) for goodness sake. Graham, you've seen the
1: kits, right? Like, I don't think you should be surprised by some of the way they uh, they tighten up that budget. Uh, But I think what we're alluding to here, uh, what we're referencing is obviously the playoffs starting Graham being uh, team playoffs. Uh, But last week on the Lister questions episode, we had a little bit of a debate. Uh, We were asked about which thing we consider more prestigious, uh, the World Cup or the Premier League title, national team manager versus club manager. One that divided opinion was Supporter Shield versus MLS Cup. Joe was on the side of the Supporter Shield. And I wanted to ask Joe to share his opinion one more time. I I feel like some people, looking mostly at myself, were just sort of teasing him about being Team Supporter Shield uh, at the expense of actually understanding the significance he feels it has because it's something I personally would like to be more interested in, more enthusiastic about. So, Joe... Uh, take over and tell us why the Supporter Shield matters, and then I'll ask you some more questions.
0: Sure. So the Supporter Shield, for me, and I think this is just factual, is the representation of the team that plays the best soccer or the most winning soccer for the longest period of time in MLS. Why, I guess, why would you not want that is sort of where I always come back to. So this is Supporter Shield is just the same award. That the Premier League winner gets at the end of the season or that the La Liga winner gets at the end of the season. I mean, that's the award for being the best over the longest period of time and finishing on top of the table on top of the table with points. That's the award you get. Now, I will grant there is plenty of prestige towards to to winning MLS Cup. There's value in that. It is incredible to see your team go on a run in a knockout competition. That's that's exciting. That's good stuff. But for me, if we're trying to assign prestige to a thing, and part of the point was, you know, when we talked about this last week, or the week before, whenever that was, is that, you know, we could choose. And I think we are in a position to be able to to sort of hype up certain things that we feel have value. I feel the Supporters' Shield has value because it is the best and purest representation of who the best team has been in Major League Soccer, by and large, every single year.
1: Do you say it has value? Do you feel like it has more value than the playoffs, or do you see them as sort of distinctly different things?
0: Uh, they are kind of are. Greg Baralter talks about, you know, the World Cup being two tournaments. It's the group stage and that it's the knockout round. It kind of is that similar vibe to me that winning MLS Cup is important, I don't know that it is representative that you are like a great team. It's representative that you got hot at the right time and there have been great teams who have won MLS Cup in the past. But for me, I think the shield is is sort of its own entity and so we can assign them different values and I I happen to place a lot of value in watching my team or who I mean I don't have an MLS team but but I would imagine if I was a fan of one, it certainly have felt this in the USL in the past with Phoenix Rising you know, it's fun to watch your team be good every single weekend. And I I would take that benefit of watching my team be good week after week after week over sort of whatever happens in a roll of the dice playoff matchup. That said, I'm excited to talk about the playoffs. I'm excited to get into this stuff because it still matters. It's still prestigious. But just I would take the you know six-month regular season or however long it is and being good in that stretch over a three-week-long tournament.
2: I, th- I think the problem here is how we define prestige, right? Because that is entirely subjective. So I don't disagree with anything that-, that Joe has said there. The Supporter Shield absolutely is a trophy that is representative of a better team over a longer period of time. But I can't really disagree with what Joe's personal. Um, interpretation of what prestige is i can just tell you that mine is different and i i think mls cup is more prestigious whether it matters more i I don't know that's that's a that's an entirely different debate but in terms of prestige joe you said we can decide well actually i'd argue that mls are kind of the ones that can decide that particularly given that they're a centralized league and whatever they say goes so if they decide mls cup is essentially the mls title then that for me is the most prestigious yeah, I think there is something to be said for that. MLS, I think, in a lot of ways, shoots
0: themselves in the foot by not trying to point more people towards the supporter shield. And I understand the difficulty here because when you have a postseason tournament happening, you know, a week after the end of the regular season, it's hard to to communicate to people that hey, you know, this this first trophy is valuable when you're having a bigger, shinier trophy with more media coverage after that. So I, I sympathize with the challenges here. I would just encourage folks as you're watching, and I guess, Taylor, I'd encourage you since sort of you're the one who asked more about this topic. I, I just think it is valuable and enriching to play good soccer on a consistent basis. And, and those teams that do that stuff, LAFC this year, the Revs last year, Philly the year before, I mean, those teams should be uh, applauded for the work that they've done. And I think we, we've done a decent job of that, and
1: I, I think we'll continue to do that. One final question for me on this one, then we'll get to the actual playoff coverage. Um, I said it in the intro, I think if, if I'm holding my hands up and being honest, I get really into Major League Soccer when the season starts and the lead up to the season with uh, new player signings and new coaches and new ownership groups and, and what's it going to look like and how's it all going to play out. And I stay that way for, I think, a good few weeks and then I think my interest sort of it uh, yeah. falls off a bit. Maybe it picks up for big games here and there, and then it comes back around the time of the playoffs. And I wonder if for you, Joe, and it sounds like Graham is in the same boat as me, Joey. do you think maybe the breakdown is if you care more about MLS on a weekly sort of match-to-match basis, you're going to care more about the Supporter Shield automatically? I don't, I don't know that you'll automatically care about it more than MLS Cup, but I do think
0: you'll automatically care about it more than people who do sort of flit in and out, right? Because okay. you have the investment in seeing, okay, LAFC start the season very well. They yeah. look like runaway supporter shield winners. Then they dip. For some reason, when Gareth Bale and Dennis Bouanga and, and Christian Taylor, they, they dip after all these stars are coming in, and now they find their form to sort of win it at the end. That is a much more appealing and, and captivating storyline if you've been following what's going on than if you've sort of just checked back in and said, oh, yeah, LAFC, they have a bunch of good players. That doesn't really surprise me that they won. Now let's get to the playoffs and see some real action here. I don't have that perspective. And so Taylor, I think you could be totally right about your interest level and your consistency in following the league, likely has an influence on which of these trophies you think is yeah. more valuable, or at least which one
2: you or or at least how much you put stock in something like the supportership. I think I think the playoffs, my personal perspective is the playoffs work better in MLS than they would in most leagues, just because, and I, and I know I joke about this, but I, I, I genuinely find MLS such a sprawling league with so many teams that the playoffs just provide that that sharper focus. MLS has, what, 29 teams now, right? That's 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 the correct number. Yeah, when St. Louis comes in next year, yeah. Yeah, so 28, 29 next year. That That's, new, that's nearly as many as are in Scotland's top three leagues combined. So when we can narrow it down to 14 teams, it just it just makes for That's me it just makes everything yeah. a little bit sharper and also we have the best teams facing each other which is always good and did I just make an argument for the European Super League don't don't tell <laughs> Florentino Perez I said that <laughs> but you get the point that i'm making if it, it's a
1: bit of a clumsy analogy but what just came to me is the idea that like Graham and i are reading the Cliffs notes so the spark notes version of, of the book and then we're coming in for the entirety of the epilogue whereas joe has read the whole book and is now there for the epilogue so maybe we're placing Emphasis on certain uh, like characters in that part of the book. Joe has seen the entirety of the sure. thing. Either way, go go ahead.
2: Have you ever read a book where you're kind, you enjoy it at the start, and then you kind of lose your way in the middle, and then you're like, you get to a point where you're like, ah, I just want to know how this finishes. Yep. And you oh, the, yeah. You go towards the you go to the last few pages or <laughs> yes. the last ten pages. That's basically MLS every season. I, I wish I could read it all the way through. There's just so many pages. Yeah, and that and that's a problem, right? I think this
0: discussion is emblematic of a problem that MLS has. The problem that that they can't really get people who are are still very into soccer, Taylor and Graham, still watch a chunk of MLS each year. They can't get those people to put really much value on the regular season. That's that's a problem. Like that's months after months after months of wasted energy in soccer. Now it's not wasted on everyone, right? And and it is it is still there are still redeeming factors about the MLS regular season that I think even you guys would get to, but that is emblematic of a much bigger issue that MLS has in, in that they can't seem to make or they have not taken the pains to make their regular season competitive and, and feel like there's something at stake. And that's a natural byproduct of not having promotion or relegation. It makes these matches in July down in Houston way less interesting, right? You just say, yeah, I'll, I'll just pass on this instead of saying, wow, if the Dynamo lose this, they're going to drop three points in a relegation battle. That That is not the only way to solve this problem that I think we've we've come to in this Shield versus Cup discussion. But, I mean, adding in more punishments or incentives for finishing higher or lower in the table or limiting the playoff something has to change I think at least in my mind to make MLS more compelling as a regular season product for the vast majority of its time on TVs in a calendar year and until
1: that changes I think this sort of discussion is
0: going to be one we come back to year after year all right I think I've solved
1: this uh if, if you don't make the playoffs, uh, the, the manager of your team, even if they weren't the manager that season, the next season has to wear a hat that just says shame on it for the entirety yes. of the regular season. So <laughs> that if you're shamed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Then you're just, you are a shame team or a non shame team. That's how we make the regular season I love truly, that. truly matter. I think I've stumbled upon the solution here, so we can stop talking about it. We can instead look at the playoffs. Joe, since you were uh, vilified, hounded, ridiculed last week, I Ask you. Uh, you are a Pacific Standard Time resident. Shall we start in the east or the west?
0: How dare you, Mountain Standard Time? Oh, Excuse I you, not I Mountain apologize. Daylight Time. Mountain Standard Time. Um, we can start in the east just because I believe the first game in the playoff uh, standings here in the playoff schedule is an Eastern Conference game. That's Never. Saturday. The Red Bulls in Cincinnati. We'll start out east, and then we can work our way out to the fine wine out west, Taylor.
1: So uh, Graham has reasons for enthusiasm. Joe has one-sentence guides or thereabouts to each playoff team. Joe, give us the one-sentence summary for the Philadelphia Union. Okay, so
0: we're working top-to-bottom here in the Eastern Conference. The Philadelphia Union, I uh, have—this might be a fragment. It is a fragment, almost certainly. 4-4-2 diamond, comma, suddenly dangerous in the attack, comma, great defense. That's my summary of this Union team. They still play— Pretty much the exact same way that Jim Curtin's Philadelphia Union team has been playing ever since Ernst Tanner came to town to take a front office job with the Union. And they're they're good. It's not just about their defending and their pressing this year, which has been a common theme in the the Tanner-Curtin era. But now they have goal scorers. They have Daniel Gazdak, who is in the MVP conversation. He's not going to win it. But as this goal-scoring box arriving number 10, he makes a lot of those third-man runs in the box. Not That's a, that's a poor way to say it. Maybe these accent runs in the box where the two number 9s For Philly are doing a lot of the heavy lifting and they're distracting defenders. And then you have Gazdag rushing in out of midfield to score some really nice goals. He had a hat trick over the weekend against Toronto FC. This seems dangerous. Gazdag has elevated their attack. Carranza and Mikel Ura have elevated the attack as well. Jack McGlynn getting some minutes in central midfield, a young American player. This union team is not just about defending and Andre Blake keeping ridiculous shots out of the back of the net. They're actually dangerous in the open field now as well, which makes this team way better to watch and much more of a threat in the postseason.
2: Yeah, it, it feels like this this could be the, the culmination of what Jim Curtin has been doing in, in Philly for for the last few years. So this is a team that, that's finished top of the East uh, two times in the last three seasons. They won the Sports Shield in, in 2020. And Joe, you kind of touched on it there, but if you look at some of the numbers that Philly have put up this season, it just paints the picture of a, of a complete team. I know they ended up not winning the Shield sure. this season, but I think if you just look at Not that at that the... matters,
0: though, obviously. Not that that matters.
2: <laughs> not that it matters, of course. But I think if you look at the fundamentals of the, of this team, um, it, it, they, they have, you know, the best defense in the regular season by quite some distance as well. And then also the best attack. And I know this might be quite a reductive argument, but if you have those two things as, as a team, the best defense and a best attack, you've got a good team, right? We can assume that. So, and and if you go through that team and look at the players as well and, and so many of them just seem to be playing at, at the top of their game Andre Blake maybe the best goalkeeper in the playoffs Glesnes and, and Elliott are a pretty strong in fact a very strong centre-back partnership full-backs are excellent and as you mentioned Joe they've got Daniel Gazdag who I think finishes one behind Hanni Mukhtar in the, in, the, in the golden boot in, race in the end um, but just you look through their team and it's a team built over a number of seasons, a team that has been close to putting it together in past seasons. Um, and I think they'll be stronger for having those experiences. Obviously, last year, they go out to, to NYCFC and they had a team pretty much decimated by COVID yeah. absences. So maybe, maybe last year, it all comes together for them then. But they've continued that process. They've been c- continued to improve. And the more that I looked into Philly, and obviously I've watched them a, a few times this season, but just kind of compared them to maybe the other favourites, LAFC as the Shield winners. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Philly. It just kind of feels like the, um, I mean, I don't know how much stock I put in Destiny, but you know what I mean? It kind of feels like it would be a fitting culmination of their process if they won it all this season.
0: And let me add one splash of cold water, Taylor. I know we've got a lot of teams to get to. Nice. Just quickly, we, we've talked about Philly as this great team, and they are, right? They deserve a ton of credit for the year they've had. I think Jim Curtin Is a really good coach. I think he's probably going to win coach of the year this year in MLS, even though I don't know that's exactly where my vote would go. They're a great team. The one thing that I think could really hurt the union is when they come up against a bunker defense. I think that is maybe what gives LAFC a slight edge in the favorite conversation. Both have first-round buys, but LAFC have more players who I think are capable of knifing through a low block. Jack McGlynn can help do that stuff. Even Jose Martinez can help do that stuff in midfield Daniel Gazdak can do a little bit of it, but I think the Union will struggle and have struggled in the past against lower defensive blocks. I don't know exactly when they're going to face one in the postseason. I don't think the Red Bulls or Cincinnati, who's the, the matchup that the Union will face the winner of in their conference semifinal game. I don't expect either one of those teams to sit all that deep, but that's something to watch for about this Union team. Can they break a low block if they come up against one in the postseason? That could be an X factor.
1: All right, so that's the Philadelphia Union. We are going to keep it moving because we've got 14 teams to get through. Joe, let's take, let's go to Montreal. Let's head to Canada. Uh, second seed. I feel like with DC out, I need a team where I have no like real strong feelings one way or the other. I might be supporting Montreal in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I would, I would wholeheartedly endorse that decision, Taylor. So my one sentence guide for this team is: Wilfred Nanse looks like MLS's next really good coach, and you could rope Pat Noonan into this discussion as well. But Nance, I think, has done more with less, even than Noonan has done with Cincinnati, since he have spent money, more money, in, in, at least I think, than Montreal have spent. And Noonan has elevated this, t- sorry, Nance has elevated this team into a legitimate threat. They were in the supporter shield race up until, I believe, the second to last week of the season. They had very small odds, but they were still in the running. They were the third best team in MLS in the regular season, and they're scary good, right? You have Georgi Mihailovic, who's playing a lot of the strings. He started the year really hot and then had a dip when he, he hurt his ankle before USMNT camp back in June. Hasn't exactly, to my eye, been the same player since. Yeah. But you have George Mihaljevic, who still is scoring goals here and there. He had a goal, I believe, over the weekend against uh, Inter-Miami. Kai Kamara is still kicking and doing his thing, and he is exactly the same player that he's been for the last half decade. You have Victor Wanyama uh, patrolling midfield. Ismail Kone who will pop up in the championship or in the Premier League sooner rather than later. He could be going to the World Cup with Canada as well. He looks like a gazelle and a soccer player combined. It's incredible. This team's really good. They like to play with the ball. They don't press too high, so they, at times they'll compress space deeper on their own half. They are certainly a team to watch, Taylor, and I, I think you would be uh, wise to pick them as a team that you want to follow closely in the postseason.
1: Graham, it sounds like you had some concerns about Georgi Mihailovic as well, though.
2: Yeah so obviously a player that we've spoken quite a bit about this season mainly with regards to the the US men's national team and that thing that Joe mentioned there where he hasn't really been the same since the since the injury was his move to Azed Altmer has that been was that confirmed yes I, yep, I remember that's so, happening he'll join yeah, after so that's the season's definitely over. happening. Yep. I couldn't remember I know we spoke about that on, on the show but I couldn't remember if actually the, the confirmation had, had come so he, he's going to, to Holland next year and I'm just a little bit concerned that he hasn't been the, the same player since that injury and I, and I can't shake the feeling that as well coached as this team is under Wilford Nancy and, and the possession heavy game that they have and, and the defensive record that they have in the, in the regular season it still feels like they're going to need a difference maker and with uh, Kyoto out as as well, um it feels like maybe Georgie needs to get back to his best for, for a really deep run in, in in this playoffs. That's maybe the the one concern that I have. But having said that, Montreal finished their the regular se- regular season campaign with four straight wins, so maybe it'll yeah. all be fine. Yeah, haven't lost a game since August, so it feels like they've got some good form.
1: But you mentioned Kyoto there, Graham. Uh, He missed the final game of the season uh, due to a, I think, thigh injury he picked up uh, playing for his national team. Uh, Joe, not asking you to speculate about whether or not he'll be good to go, just wondering how important has he been for Montreal? How negatively might it impact them if he's not able to play?
0: Yeah, he's been a difference maker for them. He provides a lot of the verticality that they don't get out of George Mihaljevic. They don't get out of Kai Kamara. They get a little bit out of, of, of a few other players. This Malcone makes a bunch of those runs out of central midfield, and Mason Mason Toy can do that stuff. But Kyoto is just on a different level than pretty much any of those players at like getting in behind and causing problems in the box. So without him, it, it does turn into a slightly more one-dimensional CF Montreal team. They don't have as much of a threat in behind. But they can still win games without Romel mm. Kyoto. They can still and should be still favored against Orlando in this first round matchup. They're they're good enough to overcome Kyoto, but yeah, if he's not able to go against Orlando, that is certainly a loss for this
2: team. Yeah. I'm I'm generally lo- looking forward to watch more of this CF Montreal team. Because my my just to give you an idea of my weekend routine. I usually watch an MLS match on the Sunday night, and in the UK they tend to show certain teams. I think I've spoken about this before. So NYCFC and Inter Miami are frequent picks for obvious reasons. You'll also get a good number of LAFC and Galaxy games. And if you're lucky, you'll get an Austin FC game. I watched a few of them earlier in the season. But Montreal are are a team that don't get picked very often, and so I have to admit that they're a team that, while I've read about Wilford seeing and Joe, obviously you... I've, I've heard you talk about them and what a good job he's doing and how a good, how good a team they are. I, I'm looking forward to see them in the playoffs just because as I say, they just, they just haven't been on TV in the UK a whole lot. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that.
1: All right. That is two teams down, many more to go. We're going to take a quick break. We will be back with the rest of the East in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Welcome back. We continue to look at the 2022. It's 2022, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, MLS playoffs. uh, We're previewing them. And we are now moving from Montreal to New York. Joe, we've got two New York teams. Let's start with NYCFC finishing third in the East. Do we feel like this is another example of them sort of rounding into form at the exact right moment? It does feel that way. So my one sentence summary for this team
0: is finding their rhythm again at just the right time, question mark. So Mm. it does feel like NYCFC are getting back into the saddle a little bit. So to run through a timeline of events over the summer, they have not only a a bit of an injury crisis, but Ronnie Dyla goes to Standard Liege, so manager's gone. Nick Cushing is is promoted as the interim manager. He was on Ronnie Dyla's staff. And then Tati Castellanos goes on loan to Girona, a a fellow city football group club. And all of a sudden, they don't look like the same team. Nick Cushing kind of absolves the, the press. He dissolves the press. And so that just stops happening, and NYCFC looked passive. They struggled to, to string together results. Now they have won a few games. So they they beat Atlas in the Campeones Cup with with legitimate teams out there playing. They beat the Red Bulls 2-0 on September 17th. They beat Orlando, and they beat Atlanta United on decision day. That's a nice four-game winning streak for NYCFC coming into the postseason. And maybe most importantly for this team right now is they got Keaton Parks back, who is an absolute difference maker for this group. His ability on the ball to conduct play from midfield is huge. So they are dealing with some other absences and injuries. I think there are concerns in this group at fullback, concerns Mm. a little bit in the attack as well. But Keaton Parks can do a lot for this team. They're not the same NYCFC team that won MLS Cup last year and and were so good and were really preseason
2: favorites for the Supporters' Shield. But they are still dangerous in the postseason. Those injuries that you mentioned, Joe, I think... Are a concern. I have a lot of players. A lot of players have come back. So Tyler Magno comes off actually with an injury on decision yeah. day at Atlanta United. So that that would obviously be a, a a big blow. But I think if you even if you go through a number of the players who who have returned from injury, they don't really have a lot of games behind them. So you know Keaton Parks. I was looking at his his game time. I don't think he has played a full ninety minutes no. since you know earlier, earlier this year, and it's the same with Tinnerholm and uh, Callens. is isn't a hundred percent. And as I say, then you you factor in Magno, who might be patched up to, to and sent out to play with a shoulder injury, and it could maybe all be a, a little bit of an illusion from NYCFC, where they have these big name big name players who are in their team, but maybe not. Match sharp or, or or in in their best form. So that would be that would be one concern. Another thing that I think could count against NYCFC is that they're not playing at Yankee Stadium for the round one game. Which ordinarily I would consider that to be a good thing for for all concerned. But playing at Red Bull Arena means that home advantage is going to be diluted for them. So that is going to be an easier environment for for Inter Miami to. To go into, I have to say, I've not been to an NYC NYC FC game at Red Bull Arena. I have been to an NYC FC game at Yankee Stadium, and I've I've read people saying that the game, the home games at uh, Red Bull Arena, are pretty soulless. So that's not the sort of atmosphere you want for a for a playoff game. So that would be another concern for uh, NYC FC. Graham, that's called ironic home field advantage is what the Red, uh, what NYCFC will have, rather. <laughs>
1: and strangely, I have been to an NYCFC game at Red Bull Arena. It was a CONCACAF Champions League game. It was midweek. It was in the evening. So lots of disclaimers there. But it was not particularly well attended. It was not a raucous atmosphere, to say the least. So I think there is probably some concern there. Yeah. And then just the kind of weirdness of playing in your rival's stadium, Probably also yeah. maybe part of this Joe the other thing for, for me and then we'll keep it moving just that this is a very good example of if you're coming into MLS as a like playoff enthusiast you see this team of like oh they're catching form at the right moment but that means that you've missed all the work they've done this season to overcome the obstacles they have to put things together to change the system to change the approach to get personnel playing the way they need to so there is that whole like don't read the CliffsNotes pay attention to the whole book and then you get a greater picture uh, that's Instead, with the Red Bulls, I feel like we oftentimes kind of know what they're about. Is that the case this time around, Joe? Yeah, Red Bull fans, we can cliff notes this one. My sentence
0: is, yep, comma, that's a press. And that is <laughs> that is still the defining feature of this Red Bulls team. I, I feel bad getting this reductive. I'll let Graham talk about the, the individual player that I think we all know that Graham's going to talk about because Scotland. But, I mean, at this point, <laughs> we know who the Red Bulls are. Lukinas was was fine in his first year in Major League Soccer. Uh, I don't think he was one of the best number 10s in the league, but he is a capable attacker that does provide some calm calmness on the ball for them. But the Red Bulls are exactly who they've been for a long time, and they're going to have to rely on their press to be the great equalizer in the games they play because they're at a talent disadvantage, even relative to a team like Cincinnati. I think there's a pretty clear gap in talent from Cincinnati, at least in the attack, and the Red Bulls in the attack. And I would I would wager there's more of that as you go through the team. So I think this first-round matchup for them between the Red Bulls and Cincinnati could go either way. The Red Bulls are well-drilled in what they want to do. They know exactly how they're going to play. So do their opponents. What that does to their first-round match, first matchup against Cincinnati, I don't know. But this is a very familiar Red Bulls team that's going to play exactly how you think they're going to play.
2: There was a great line by, when talking about how the Red Bulls play, there was a great line by Matt Doyle in his piece, uh, this week, I don't know if anyone caught it, where he said the Red Bulls, quote, try to break your brains and convince you that this is less a game of soccer than an almost <laughs> infinite infinite series of high speed crashes, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. That was good. That was very good. And, and very apt, apt
0: kind of as though. well. Very
1: apt. <laughs> Um, I'm going to ask you both the same question. I'm going to go to Graham for his answer first. If they were to make a deep run, who is the player that you think will be most instrumental to that? <laughs> who, gets the, yeah, who gets the marquee branding? Uh, it sounds like it'll be Lewis Morgan for Graham.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm really pleased to see Lewis Morgan doing well for the Red Bulls, not just because of his nationality, but of, of course that is a factor. But um, he, when when Scottish fans look to MLS, a lot of Scottish fans are immediately drawn to Ryan Gold because... There was so much, to give a bit of background, there was, there was so much hype around Gold when he was a teenager at Dundee United and he was called the mini Messi, which was obviously ridiculous, but kind of told you how he played. And then he went to Sporting Lisbon at a time when Scottish players just didn't go abroad. So there's always been this fascination around him. And Lewis Morgan has just kind of flown under the under the radar. He didn't do particularly well at Celtic, but he, he finished the regular season for the Red Bulls on, on 14 goals and four assists. He won their... Um, if not their official Player of the Year award, their Supporters Player of the Year award. I saw him getting some sort of trophy on, on, on the pitch on, on decision day. And he's he deserves huge credit for how he's done in MLS since going there, not just for the Red Bulls, of course, but for Inter-Miami as well, where he performed well in a, in a dreadful team. And it's been interesting to see him as, as part of a front three for the Red Bulls, where he is allowed to, to play quite centrally, because at Celtic, they, they misunderstood what sort of player he is, and, and they either used him as a winger... Or as a centre forward, and he can play there. And I know for the Red Bulls, he kind of drifts out wide. But you kind of want to split the difference. You want to have him in behind a, a central striker like that the Red Bulls do. But you don't want to, you don't want him getting you know chalk on his boots out in the wing either. So I like the position he's been playing for the Red Bulls. He does very much seem like a, a, a bit of a, a difference maker for them. And so I, I wish him well in the playoffs. Joe, you're welcome to have your own answer, or you can just say "retweet Morgan, baby. Retweet. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Then let's move
1: uh, to FC Cincinnati. They're in the playoffs. It's a weird world we live in. Uh, I want to take you back to our season preview, or before the the campaign kicked off. Uh, Here is Pat Noonan. Calming expectations about this team. Uh, quote, there will be no guarantees. Our goal is to start to get the right pieces in place to move this team forward in the product on the field, having an identity and getting the culture right to prepare us for future success. There is no timeline on that, end quote. So very much tempering expectations, Joe. Uh, but with that in mind, maybe deserves even more credit for the way things have gone. Uh, he and Chris Albright.
0: Yeah, 100%. So my sentence for Cincinnati is what these players, Chris Albright and Pat Noonan, have done this year is nothing short of incredible. So Cincinnati were a laughingstock. We had a, a piece for backheeled.com go up today about Cincinnati and their their journey basically from three consecutive wooden spoons to stability. And that's, that's where this team is right now. They make the playoffs this year. Chris Albright comes in in the offseason as the general manager and doesn't make any major splashes, but what he does is he adds some solid MLS contributors on some reasonable deals, some reasonable contracts, and uses a bunch of these different, somewhat ridiculous, but important if you're in Chris Albright's role, roster mechanisms to to make that happen. So he uses Cincinnati's buyout. He gets uh, some players in free agency. He signs contributors in the draft. they, They draft solid players in the Super Draft, and then eventually... After some trades and some other allocation order, manipulation, which is just ridiculously smart by Chris Albright and all these different avenues, they sign nu- nu- bodo. Man, that is incredibly difficult for me to say. They sign a central midfielder who's playing in Turkey, and he is eating up balls in central midfield. He is everywhere all the time. Obina Nwobodo is in that space. And then they signed Matt Miazga. And they're making moves to solidify the defense. And there's a lot more work in that arena to be done <laughs> still. They give up a lot of chances. It's gotten better since Miazga has arrived. And Nuoboto helps a lot in that regard as well. But there's room to improve on that side. But you have Brandon Vasquez, who I, I asked him at All-Star in, in uh, Minnesota about, so what, what's the change between this year and last year? What, what's different, right? You were there last year. You're here this year. And you're having a great season. What's different for the team? And he said clarity, right? That is the thing that he pointed to first as being different. Cincinnati have changed the club culture. They are a phenomenal story. One of, if not the best stories in MLS this year to have gone from laughingstock and and perennial wooden spoon contender and winner to an actual dangerous and real soccer team. That is just a phenomenal Mm -hmm. story.
2: The, the FC Cincinnati game against DC United on decision day, that, that was one of the games that I I watched most closely, partly because it was so entertaining and there were seven goals, but I also felt like it, it gave a pretty accurate ref, reflection <laughs> of what this yep. Cincy team are. So they've got that attack, and we spoke about this on the Weekend Review, so there's a bit of overlap here, but that attack of Acosta Brenner and, and Vazquez finished the regular season with 46 goals and 33 assists, which are just serious, serious numbers, and only three teams in the entire league scored more than Cincinnati over the regular season. And if you give them the time and the space to play open soccer in the attacking third, as DC United did on Sunday... Cincinnati will just tear you to shreds because that that attack isn't just very talented in terms of the individuals. It's very well balanced in terms of the the qualities that all three forwards give them. So they've got Vazquez, who's the archetypal physical uh, number nine, who gives you that slightly direct option. Then they have Acosta, who is the create the creator, and then you have Brenner, whose who's all-round game kind of just links everything together and and, and gives Cincinnati that, that 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 guile and mobility. But then also even even within that DC game, that DC United game. DC United weren't really ever out of that match. It felt like there were still times when they could have scored. It goes, what does it go 2-1, then 2-0, then 2-1, then then to four one, Ravel Morrison scores that, or 4-2 rather. And it feels like that defensive frailty is there for Cincinnati. So they've got this incredible attack, but in in the defense and in terms of their control, there are some questions. And that just makes them as a neutral anyway, it makes them just so incredibly Watchable, And that, that that attack does have the fear factor, but if you're an opposition team, you know you're going to get chances against them as well. Joe, if I gave you an over-under in Red Bulls Cincinnati in that game
1: of uh, four goals, are you taking the over? Uh,
0: no, I'm going to take the under just because really? I think the Red Bulls will Red Bull to the point where there aren't as many chances in that game. I, I think there will still be opportunities for both mm. teams. But both of these teams, I mean, Pat Noonan and Chris Albright come from the Union School of Red Bull, right? So, I mean, th- we have the Red Bull sort of philosophy flowing from New York, flowing from Germany to New York, from New York to Philadelphia, now from Philly to Cincinnati. So we are going to see a lot of, here, kick it long. And then, oh, you kick it long now. And maybe Lucio Acosta will take a second and, and sort of sort things out in the attack. But I think I'm going to go under and assume the Red Bulls are going to do their thing. And, and maybe still Cincy
2: winning this game on the road. That- that fixture has been 1-1 both times this season. Yeah. So that kind of tells you how how well the Red Bulls have, have done in actually closing down that attack.
1: That's what happens when you do your research. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> All right, let's keep it moving then uh, to talk about Miami. Joe, how are we summarizing Inter-Miami? Uh, okay, here we go.
0: Gonzalo Higuain can win them games in the <laughs> postseason. That, that is so much about what this team is and has become. Higuain that's going to retire after the season. He already announced that. So this is his last ride. There's other talented players in this team, too. Don't get me wrong. Alejandro Pozuelo is a brilliant player. Miami traded for him from Toronto. He's a designated player for them. He is. He's very, very good. There's a lot of talent in this team, but I, I think still the first place you look is Gonzalo Higuain. I think they are probably, along with Orlando and maybe RSL, one of the worst teams in the postseason field, so I, I honestly don't okay. have incredibly high expectations for them. But Iguain is the kind of player that gets you a win in the MLS playoffs. It's the absurdity of the playoffs. They are another great equalizer right along with the press, which I, Miami don't do a ton of. But if Iguain gets hot and then Miami defend, Phil Neville and this team's marching into the conference semifinals. That is totally realistic, even, do, even though I do think Miami are at a bit
2: of a talent disadvantage mm-hmm. uh, compared to some other teams in the playoff field. Yeah, Higuain's got 14 goals in his last 16 games, so that that is not terrible form to be heading into the playoffs in. And just for people who are unfamiliar with the Scottish accent, that
1: was indeed Graham Rutherford pronouncing Iguaine. Graham, one more time? Of course. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I also enjoyed a very indicative moment. Uh, Joe, the voice going up at the end is always an indicator of a person's true feelings. And I really yep. enjoyed that. Answer uh, Miami, there's a lot of talent in this team. I, that wasn't a very convincing argument for it. I think yeah. you laid out the uh, the concerns there. So are you feeling like maybe this one might be a bit too much for them? Or are you feeling uh, New York in the, in this game? Uh, I'm, I'm feeling, shoot, wait, are they playing New York? Who is it? I'm trying to find in
0: my notes. NYCFC. Yeah, they are. My bad. Most, NYCFC, yeah. not Montreal. I misspoke earlier. That's, that's totally my bad. Yes, I am feeling NYCFC, but I'm not going to count Miami out, right? This is, Phil Neville got this team to the playoffs, and this is when all chaos breaks loose and things are just wild. So, yeah, Miami can
1: absolutely win. I, I do think if I was putting money on this game, I would, I would put it on NYCFC. Uh, would you put money on uh, Caleb Porter finding a way to lose the playoff game for Orlando, as he did against Col- for Columbus? Uh, C- Caleb Porter no longer uh, employed by the Columbus crew. They had the lead over Orlando. Orlando come back, and now they're in the playoffs. Joe, uh, give us that summary for Orlando City. Okay, Orlando have had success in
0: knockout competitions this year, but don't have the same talent level as some of the teams higher up the table. So sort of a similar recipe as Miami, except, Miami didn't make the deep run and, and win the U.S. Open Cup. Orlando can do damage in individual one-on-one uh, you know, single elimination competitions. We've already seen that take place this year. And they do have some match winners. I think Fugundo Torres is a really skillful, talented young winger who likes to drift inside, likes to play in the half space, likes to play make a little bit. And this Orlando team has a bunch of experience. They have a bunch of depth. Players have been in the postseason before. Players have played a lot of MLS games. They have a, a lot of guys on this team that have been around for a while I just, I'm not sold. I'm not sold on this mm-hmm. team. I think teams have figured Orlando out. Oscar Pereja's team still kind of tries to play the same way, but now Mauricio Pereira, who's their number ten, is is not really all that dangerous anymore. And, and I, I'm not convinced that Junior Urso is always going to be a game changer, even though he does get a really nice goal to equalize on Decision Day. I just, I don't buy it with this Orlando team. And, and I'm looking forward to getting all the tweets, uh, maybe just a few tweets, about how wrong I am after they go in and, and do win in round one. But I think Orlando are facing an uphill battle against Montreal in this first round.
2: Joe, what is their their style of play? What is their approach? Because I've I've watched Orlando a few times this season and and their game against Columbus on this decision day was another one of the games that I was I was watching pretty closely and it felt like the crew kind of lost that game as much as Orlando won, it. Orlando won it in, in the second half. The, the change seemed to be them just getting more players forward. Um, maybe my tactical reading on that wasn't great, but what, what is their kind of identity as, as a team, or, or do they not have one? Yeah, it's not as clear in my mind as it's been in the past
0: for Oscar Pereja. I think they're still trying to control the ball, but they're, they're going to be willing to build from the back at times. They're pragmatic at other times. It is very flexible to the point where I'm not sure they have a clear enough vision to really go out and assert themselves on really any of these playoff teams, maybe outside of in the East, Miami, uh, and maybe the Red Bulls because that's what the Red Bulls kind of want you to do before they assert you even harder right back at you. So I don't know that there's a clear vision for this team other than let's hope that Fagunda Torres and and our DP number 9 Nurkankara can go out
1: there and win games after we show a little bit of quality in possession. Joe, does that run that they had in U.S. Open Cup, ultimately winning it, does that make you feel like they might be a little bit better prepared for the playoffs and for the kind of emotionality of that uh, contest? Or do you think ultimately not that big of a deal?
0: I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but yeah, it helps. I mean, in in a tournament with fine margins, as the MLS Cup playoffs are, having that experience and having just gone through this, I think mentally gives you a little bit of an edge. You know, we've had our backs up against the wall. We've been through this before. I don't think it should make them favorites to do much damage in the East. But if they do, and if they do upset Montreal
1: and, and, and have a little bit of a run, yeah, it, it really wouldn't shock me either. That's just kind of how these playoffs go. All right, there we are. That's the East. We're obviously going to talk a lot more about all of these teams as the playoffs kick off and continue on. For now, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back to talk the West. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code T-S-S. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code T-S-S to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're moving to the Western Conference. Joe Lowry, we're starting at the top again. LAFC, uh, unreal talent, I believe you have in your notes. I'll yes. let you take it from there.
0: Sure, my sentence is unreal talent and MLS should be cup favorites. And that's, that's how I feel. That's how the betting markets feel that I've looked at, at least. That's how 538 feels. According to 538, they have a 35% chance of winning MLS Cup. Philly are the next closest with 30, and then Montreal are third with 10%. So a, a big reason why that number is so high for LAFC and why Philly's number is, is pretty close is because they do have that first-round bye and you can't lose if you don't play. So that is a, a huge part of this. Now, the Revs in, in the Colorado Rapids last year took matters into their own hands and lost as soon as they did play. So, you know, maybe <laughs> there is something to be said for not having that first-round bye. Either way, this LAFC team is stacked. They are really, really good. They have all the players you know. They have Carlos Vela, who's still doing ridiculous things with his left foot. They have Gareth Bale, who's still not been... Like in every game, game changer, he's not a regular starter for this team either. But, I mean, this is why Bale and Chiellini are here. They're they're here for the postseason. LAFC will have the luxury of sitting back and watching their opponent play and struggle and, and maybe pick up an injury or two in the first round. Obviously not wishing that. But they play the winner of the Galaxy in Nashville. That conference semifinal game is going to be wild. Because Nashville just beat LAFC on decision day. If they beat the Galaxy, that'll be a fun game. And if we get an El Trafico on the conference semifinals, those games are ridiculous like throw your analysis tactics board out the window ridiculous so I'm really looking forward to seeing what LAFC bring to the table in the postseason they should be favorites but that conference
2: semifinal game is not going to be an easy one yeah if you have a team that is good enough to not really count on Gareth Bale and it not being much of a talking point because it hasn't really been much of a talking point because LAFC won the supporter Shield and are the favourites to 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 win MLS Cup with Bale making token cameos off the bench, that's kind of no. That's how you know that you've you've got something. Uh, You've got something good. They've just they've, they've, you look through their team. They, you know they've just got players who can win a, a game on their own in attack. They have a, a nimble midfield. They have a, a defence that can start moves from, from deep with the ball. I also read that LAFC have dropped just three points from winning positions all season. So sort of the anti-Columbus Crew. And so when they take a lead, they, they tend to keep it, which I, I would imagine would be a, a pretty invaluable trait to have in, in, in the playoffs. But. Looking at where they were in the summer, where they kind of just looked unstoppable before those 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 big name signings and those and Bale and, and Kristen Taylor arrived, um, it feel it felt like they kind of dropped off a little bit. So they 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 lost three games in a row in August, um, and they've won just two of their last five games. So it maybe feels like LAFC obviously they lose on decision day. There's not much riding on that game against Nashville and, and Joe Willis has a, an incredible game for for Nashville and goal. But it kind of feels like maybe they've lost a little bit of momentum and they ended up staggering over, over the line as the Shield winners. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, the, the playoffs can do funny things. Maybe they find that momentum again. When maybe they can turn it on again. But um, that, would, that would be something that is in my mind when assessing their chances. All right, so uh, LAFC, quite good, is the takeaway that I have there. Gareth Bale, maybe good, is my other
1: takeaway. Uh, Joe, let's talk Austin, uh, who have cemented their spot in the playoffs. Obviously, they did that uh, a good while ago, but for a team that weren't quite good last season, that's a pretty big step. Yep, my sentence is phenomenal story,
0: going from second worst in the West last year to second best this year. And, And Austin are, along with Cincinnati and Montreal, one of the biggest risers in the standings from last year to this year. They actually might be the single biggest riser in terms of finishing position in the playoffs and, and in the regular season. So a ton of credit to Josh Wolf and this team. They have gone full on, the entire world is against us, everybody out there hates us, and the media is against us. They've really leaned into that worthy underdog, self-proclaimed, sort of this year, and it's worked for them. They've, they've won a lot of games against good teams. They've beaten LAFC multiple times. This team has game-winning talent in Sebastian Driussi. They have proven MLS players in Alex Ring and Diego Fagundes, who's been excellent this year, providing uh, chances and, and almost being that primary chance creator for this team. Austin are going to be tough for RSL to take down in the opening round. They sold out Q2 in six minutes, I believe, right after playoff tickets were announced. So fans are going to be rabid waiting for this game. I think this is going to be a really good first-round matchup. If, if, if for anything else, just the environment. I think that is going to make this game really pop yeah. on TV and Austin have done a lot of great stuff this year why not a playoff
2: run too I have to say that's that's one of the reasons that I have made a point of trying to watch Austin obviously the fact that they're, they're a fun team and they score a load of goals and they've been successful this season is a big reason but also just the the atmosphere and the environment at Q2 Stadium. I, I love the the green lights after the goal. And and so hearing that they've sold out that game, I think they sold out that game like six weeks ago or something yeah. because obviously they, they, their playoff place was was secured pretty early. So that just kind of tells you how much appetite there is for this game. And and Dariusi as a player, he's probably been my favourite player to watch in MLS this season. I just love so much about his game. He'll, he'll run off the shoulder one minute and then he'll drop into the hole to play a... A, a player through a teammate through the next minute, he can drift out to the wing. He can play as a number ten. He can play as a second striker, or he's gonna, he, he can drop in to help with possession play, and he makes late runs into the box, and he's tenacious, and he links up with teammates, and of course he's got those uh, long distance stunners as well every so often. So he's 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 just a big moment player, and it feels like obviously with the playoffs that you're going to get those big moments. So it feels like maybe he's a he's a player who could have a big say in in, in the postseason. Uh, Joe, since you all have been so uh, positive about
1: Austin, I'm going to ask you a negative. I was texting with my cousin, who's a season ticket holder for Austin. I think he's been to every single game. His family's been to most of those games. And he was saying that the one sort of negative side of what they've done is that they can be a little bit maybe ponderous. Sometimes they don't have the directness in attack and they need to just be more ruthless. Playing against an RSL team that uh, have been able to get under opponent's skin and cause problems in the playoffs without registering a shot on target, do you feel like there is any concern if they are maybe just a little bit too pass-heavy in this game, or do you think they'll be uh, able to get through?
0: No, I think that's a real concern. I think RSL have every intention of doing exactly what RSL did to Seattle last year, to Austin, and just sitting against the ball trying to hit on the break, and for Austin, that could be a challenge. They've had success in a lot of games this year when the things when play has been a little more open, and I do not expect it to be open against RSL. So yeah, can Driussi and company fight through that block? Can they actually get into the box and create chances? I, I don't know. I think this could be a difficult matchup for them. I think, honestly, in a lot of ways, this opponent is, is a worse matchup for them than Dallas, or than the Galaxy, or even than LAFC in some ways, just because of the stylistic
1: clash. You hear that, Josh Wolf? Joe Lowry, doubt you. Let's let's make that chip <laughs> on your shoulder even bigger. Bring it and Austin on, and we'll get that win. Print
2: it out and put it on the locker room wall. That's that's
1: what <laughs> that calls for. Uh, Joe, next up is FC Dallas. Let me check real quick. Okay, they have not sold anybody since we started recording, so Correct. they should have uh, the team that we are accustomed to from the regular season for the playoffs. How are you feeling about Dallas? I, I feel good. So my sentence about
0: them is: This team looks like a better version of the USMNT at times. Relative to their competition level. And that's a key. So this Dallas team under Nico Estevez, former Greg Burralt, national team assistant coach, he is is playing a 4-3-3. He's playing with a number of different Americans, Jesus Ferreira as the nine, Paul Ariola off on the wing, Sebastian Lajette and Paxton Pomical as the two number eights. This team has talent and they can compete. They are are they are dangerous. I think they are probably in that second or third tier of of real contenders, maybe that third tier. I don't think they likely have enough in them to make a deep run. But again, this is the playoffs. This is where anything can happen. They're playing Minnesota in the first round. Minnesota are dangerous, but I think Dallas are the better team uh, on the whole. So that's a winnable game. And and if you're trying to find a game to watch, Dallas in their style, aesthetically pleasing, 4-3-3, they like to press. They have a lot of the same and maybe even better executed patterns that the national team uses. I think there's a lot of merit in watching this Dallas team, even if I'm not quite as bullish on them making a super deep postseason run. But hey, never say never.
2: The the improvement from them this year from last year has... has been incredible. So I went back and, and watched some of their games they played last year. I read some of the analysis at the end of last year about what went wrong. They obviously finished eleventh in, in in the West last year, and basically the 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 diagnosis of, of what was going wrong wrong was they didn't create a lot in attack. They looked vulnerable in defence, and there were questions about their tactical approach as well. And this year, it's just been an, an entirely different story. Obviously, they finished third in the West, but they uh, they you know they just have a much clearer tactical approach. They have that that dangerous attack. Um, they have one of the best young players in the league in, in, in the form of Jesus Ferreira, who has just taken a really significant step forward in his development this year. And in general, Dallas have a, a good core of young players. You know, Ferreira, Alan Velasco, Paxton McCall, Marco Farfan. I, I think the addition, I know Legit and Areola, um maybe haven't been available recently, Legit with injury. But I think the addition of them also helped them make some significant process in terms of the experience they bring. And if they can get those players into that team for the playoffs, then that's maybe where they could make a real dent in the in the postseason. But it, it kind of feels like, to me anyway, maybe, maybe Joe disagrees with this, it kind of feels like this team's a bit of a work in progress still. And if they can keep that core together and players don't leave, maybe that's where, you know, over the next couple seasons, we start to see a a, a championship winning team.
0: Yeah, I just think they're too light at centre-back and at full-back and maybe even at the six to make a meaningful run. And that that's a hard group of positions to be light in to really go deep in the postseason where I think defending and keeping things tight can be so valuable. So that, that's part of why to explain, and Graham, I'm glad you went that way. That's part of why to explain my stance earlier, that I, I don't think Dallas are maybe a real threat to go super far. But hey, like I said, when you have these types of attacking players, when you have Jesus Ferreira taking the jump that Graham just
1: talked about, yeah, things, things happen. Joe, uh, if, if maybe they're not as likely to make that deep run to make it to MLS Cup or win it outright, uh, if next year were to be the year, who is the player from this campaign you think they most need to hold on to who will be most important for them next season?
0: Yeah, I mean, Jesus Ferreira is a pretty high-value player. There aren't a lot of elite goal scorers in MLS, and I think Jesus Ferreira has pretty much put himself into that tier. If he plays well at the World Cup, I think Dallas might cash in. Um, they, they just gave Jesus Ferreira a nice, a nice contract to make him a designated player. But if, if he goes out and shows something at the World Cup and teams are willing to fork over $10, $15 million for him, which seems unlikely but
2: not out of the question, then well, they I think... T- what, 20 for, for Pepe, didn't they? Yeah, I, I
0: totally agree. Ferreira's a little bit older, and so there's, there's a little bit of a challenge there. But yeah, I, I think Ferreira could be on the move after a good World Cup, but if they can keep him, yeah, he's, he's going to be the guy.
1: Joe, I appreciate the honest answer. Matt Doyle would have gone the troll route and said Sebastian Leggett for sure. So I appreciate that you uh, avoided that temptation. Uh, Let's keep it moving. Let's get to Nashville, a team that I know Graham is pretty pumped about. But first, Joe, I wanted to hear your one-sentence summary on Nashville.
0: Honey Mukhtar will win MLS MVP, dash, not period, even though I definitely have a period in the notes, dash. He's excellent and could be a starter for a good Bundesliga team. That is one sentence and one sentence only. Honey Mukhtar is really, really good. He fits perfectly for this Nashville team who have sort of quieted a little bit of the we need another goal scorer by just having Honey Mukhtar go supernova and scoring enough goals for multiple players. They still need another goal scorer to really reach their, their full-on potential. But Mukhtar is, is going to win MVP. He is incredibly dangerous in the open field. He can help pick locks too. He's a second striker. He's making dedicated runs into the box. He's also pulling strings at times in the attack and on the break. He's awesome. Watch Nashville for Honey Mukhtar. Watch them for how angry they're going to make Greg Vanny in the LA Galaxy. I like Nashville a lot. Graham. I think we have similar reasons for why we think this team could do well. And I'm going to turn it over to you to explain that. But also mm. just know, because we agree on this, I think
2: Nashville are going out in round one. That's just how this works. Yeah, yeah we, we, we've cursed them. So so my my reasoning is, we all know that that playoff soccer demands different things than regular season soccer. And, and, and I just wonder if Nashville, when you look at their fundamentals, if, if they might be built for the postseason. So the they, they're they defensively sound. They don't lose all that many, particularly on the road. They've got the golden boot winner to take chances when they create them. And they've scored the most set piece goals um, of any team in the regular season. And um, I think if they maintain that formula and that balance through the playoffs, then I, I believe they could be a danger. One, one big issue could be and this is a complete flipping of the script from last year. One big issue could be Nashville's home form, um, where they, they haven't been very good this season. And we I think we have to assume that Jodis Park is cursed at this point. Some construction builder buried a Cincinnati shirt under the pitch. It's the only possible explanation. So that's maybe a, a, a bit of a weakness. But yeah, I think the fundamentals of, of a team that... That of teams that tend to do well in playoff soccer or knockout football, you know, defensively sound and basically having a player that can can score every chance that they create, that that's a pretty decent formula to go far. So, if uh, LA or who, whichever opponent,
1: if they make it out of that game, uh, deals with Nashville, how do you Joe limit Hani Mukhtar? Is he a player that you can mark out of the game? Can you put somebody on him in man mark? Do you have to limit the supply into his feet? Like, how would you advise a team to nullify his threat?
0: Yeah, I think trying to Avoid passes into Mukhtar is a good place to start and and paying extra special attention to him on the break is important. I think being physical with him with a center back coming into counterpress for the Galaxy is important and also trying to counterpress aggressively higher up the field so that the ball just won't find his feet. And maybe the other answer is just playing the classic Uno reverse card on Nashville and saying, hey, you guys have the ball and and you can't Uh. attack as much in transition. I don't know how much the Galaxy are going to do that in round one. (laughs) I certainly don't think LAFC are going to do that at all in the conference semifinals, so maybe that's not going to happen, but flipping the script could be a good way to shut Mukhtar down or at least slow him down in the open field.
1: It would be interesting to see uh, Ricky Pooj try to defend and defend for 90 minutes. (laughs) Let's talk about the Galaxy for a second. It has been Pooj, to my understanding, that's been that difference maker. A thing that I'm pretty proud of because I think that's something we talked about on the show and sort of thought would be the case because at Barca maybe didn't want to do the defensive thing, wanted a lot of freedom to be able to create and do what he wanted. That seems like what uh, the Galaxy have given him. So my sentence for the Galaxy is Ricky Pooj is must-see TV.
0: And he's helping to shape L.A. into a Greg Vanny team. And I think th- both of those things are important. Ricky Puj, on his own, has been awesome in MLS this year. He's been exactly as good as you would expect a former La Masia, former Barcelona player to be in MLS. He is not going to be in this league for long at this rate, assuming things are, are fine with him off the field and, and he's able to get a move. That's going to happen. Maybe next summer, maybe in the winter after this next season. I don't know. But you go and look at his graph on FB Ref, and basically all of the non-defensive things are bright green. Like, they are they are greenest green that they could possibly be. He's progressing the ball, he's creating chances for them, which, honestly, maybe that's the bit I didn't expect as much for him to be quite as influential in the attack, but he has put some balls on a platter for Chicharito, which is really valuable. He is awesome, and he's turning this Galaxy, t- galaxy team into something that if you squint and maybe close one eye and, and just have your other eye open ever so slightly... Kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit looks like a, a Toronto FC midfield back in their heyday of winning trophies under Greg Vanny. Pujols is, is that good, and the Galaxy because of him have been, or at least in part because of him, have been a much better team to close out this
2: season. Hmm. They, they were ninth when he joined, and and ended up finishing as the fourth seed. So that that kind of, um, on, on in binary terms, kind of tells you. The impact that he's made for for Barcelona, I, I often thought, and this this is where I maybe went against the grain a little bit, I often thought Puge Pug was, was more effective in a, in, a, in a deeper role, but I might have to revise that because he's been so good for the Galaxy in this more advanced role and, and the way he gets in between the lines and plays passes through like he did for uh, Chicharito's goal at, uh, against Houston on decision day. It just makes him so dangerous. I'd also like to ha- to highlight Chicharito's form actually, because he he's got eleven goals in his last twelve games, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this form comes after Purge joins. Because to be reductive about it, Chicharito has someone to get him in behind and create those chances that, that, that he he thrives on. And and if the Galaxy can maintain that supply line between Puj and, and and Chicharito for the playoffs, I think I think that could be huge. The problem for the Galaxy is that there isn't exactly a lot of goals coming from other sources, so if an opponent, opponent is able to disrupt that supply line, like Nashville potentially, um, then maybe they close down the Galaxy as a whole but nonetheless it's it's great to see both players performing at their best, particularly Puse from from my point of view because as someone who watches a lot of La Liga, everyone knows there w- there was a player in there and that t- talent is uh rising to the surface again. Joe, if we get uh, a
1: penalty for the Galaxy, are you confident in Chicharito to take it and score it? No, No. not not at all. He's (laughs) had a brutal penalty record this year. I want to see Ricky Pooch with the aggressive, hard tuck
0: step up and and just absolutely bang that thing into the back
1: of the net. All right, so uh, Ricky Pouge has been the difference maker for the Galaxy, or at least one of the major difference makers. Uh, who has that been for Minnesota, Joe? That's where we're heading next. Yeah, it's Emmanuel Reynoso.
0: he is the 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 shining light for this Minnesota United team. They go as far as he goes. I I don't have a ton of really high expectations for Minnesota in the playoffs either. But again, it doesn't take a lot, right? It doesn't take a lot to make a run. It takes a strong defense, or at least a a comp, uh, what's what I'm looking for a competent one. And a star attacker. And Minnesota United do have those two elements. Adrian Heath's not that adventurous in his tactics. Yeah, he pressed a little bit here and there this year. It's the same Minnesota United team that it's been for a long time. If they can sit back on the break and really frustrate uh, all of their opponents in the postseason, but, you know, in round one, in particular against Dallas, and break through Reynoso, maybe break through a couple of their other wingers who have emerged a little bit this year then this is a dangerous team. If that doesn't happen, if Renoso isn't brilliant, if they can't get those other auxiliary attackers touches and get those players into dangerous spaces, I think Minnesota are going to struggle. That's just how the playoffs work. That's what we're going to find out basically from
2: this weekend on. Yeah, MLS seems to be the land of the number 10 at the moment. I don't really know what's going on there, a time when that position seems to be fading yeah, let, in other leagues. Yeah, sorry. MLS uh, seems to have them coming out of their ears. Let's talk about that for a second. So the reason why, or at least my
0: my theory on why that happens, and I'm not the one to think of this, is Defenses in MLS are bad, right? Relative to the attacking quality. You think about teams signing DPS, and we're going to talk about this some on on listener questions later this week. Teams come into MLS and they sign attacking players as their designated players. They very rarely allocate much money to center backs, and usually the ones that that are allocated a lot of money is spent on those players turn out to be busts. Like Houston has spent big money on their center backs and have just whiffed over and over again. Teams want to spend on attacking players. They don't really want to spend on defensive players. That's why the number 10 still exists because in a lot of other leagues around the world, you have elite-level defenders. In the Premier League, you have Virgil van Dijk breathing down your neck. You have Ruben Diaz breathing down your neck. In MLS, that player doesn't exist. So number 10s have time and space to think and to move and to drift, whereas in other leagues, that just doesn't happen. So that's why teams like Minnesota can get away with using a number 10 because they're not really going to get punished for it by Dallas. They're not going to get exploited, and other center
2: backs a lot of the time just can't hang. Yeah. Joe I don't know if you looked at some of the the numbers from Renoso this season but have you spotted how many touches he has per game A it's ton. it's quite incredible A so ton. he he had he regularly has over 100 touches of of the ball per 90 minutes which I'm I'm not really sure I've seen that from many uh, attack-minded players. When you see a, a player have that many touches of the ball in a game, it tends to be, you know, like a, a, an anchor midfielder at the base of the midfield or maybe even a centre-back who's playing out from, from, from defence. But for someone like Reynoso who gets you know gets into an advanced position, is there to uh, create chances and, and conduct attacks, for him to have that many touches of the ball just kind of tells you how influential he is for Minnesota. It's quite incredible. How well, Joe, do you think Minnesota, with all that in mind, stacks up against
1: Dallas? Is this a situation where they can sort of capitalize on some of Dallas's vulnerabilities? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think this is a favorable matchup for Minnesota because Dallas will try to control a little bit more of the game. And like I talked about earlier, I think their, their back line in the number six spot for Dallas is a little weak. And so when you have Reynoso picking up the ball in those spaces and, and sort of knifing through those players, yeah, Minnesota could be very dangerous on the break in this first round.
1: Joe, I'm going to uh, I'm going to out your personal life for a moment. Your fiance is from Minnesota, is that correct? Correct. That is correct. I- I, I knew that. I never knew it so like so to be the case until I heard you pronounce that their name and you say it I believe with a Minnesota oh, accent. No. And it's now my favorite thing I've ever <laughs> noticed. I believe you you elongate that last O or the on, only
0: O. I, I am never saying that state again. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> I am I am actively trying to avoid a lot of the Midwestern uh language and speech and, and pronunciations. Next, I'm going to be saying "igain" like Graham. This is just not good for me.
1: (laughs) Listeners, go back and listen. I'm pretty sure there's there's a faint Minnesota in there, and uh, it made me very, very happy. Uh, So, on that note, uh, let's see if Joe picks up any Utah pronunciation for his uh, RSL conversation. (laughs) Joe, rounding us out, RSL, take it away. Yeah,
0: I don't know how people from Utah talk, and that's probably a good thing. All things considered, probably the least talented team in the postseason, but can't count them out because I have an italics playoffs. That's how this game works. RSL don't have a lot of game-breaking talent. They are, I think, pretty weak squad-wise and barely snuck into the postseason. It took a, a win for them on decision day against the Portland Timbers to get them over the line, but they're going to try really hard. They're going to defend a lot. They're going to play a lot of long balls. They have some capable center backs. Justin Glad is, is a very good, or at least a good MLS center back, and they do have some, some talented attackers. If Jefferson Savarino is on, he can put the ball in the back of the net. He did that against Portland over the weekend. He scored the first goal in that game to get RSL on the board. So this team, like every team in the MLS playoffs, has a chance. I just think their chance is probably a little slighter than most of the rest of the postseason field. But like I said, I think this Austin matchup in round one is particularly good for them. RSL, it strikes me. It strikes me that RSL are a team that would relish playing spoiler in front of a crowd that is sort of newer to MLS and is just sold out and all that exciting stuff that Austin have going on. RSL do kind of feel like the perfect uh, antagonist for Austin's first time in the playoffs.
2: I want them to replicate the shotless victory. I think that would be the biggest flex possible for RSL. Realistic flex, as if... uh, RSL managed to do that again it would be like we could have a shot but we want to prove that we don't even need to have any to beat you and to, to spoil this party that's that's what I want for RSL in the playoffs brilliant brilliant Joe does Zach
1: McMath make them more or less likely to be able to do that because to my mind so much of that win against Seattle was Davido Choa yeah really really hamming it up uh, falling over when he didn't need to catching a ball and falling delaying the restart taking his time really getting under the skin of the Seattle fans can Zach McMath do the this- same thing to Austin that was such
0: a good moment Taylor that was oh, so good last year was at David so Ochoa good. so annoying to watch and so beautiful at the same time yep. I just don't think Zach McMath has that same David Ochoa I'm gonna make you so angry at me Gene I don't think mm-hmm. he has it in him so I mean maybe they need to figure out a way to get David Ochoa back just for a second I think David Ochoa is mad at RSL and maybe that would also factor in here and he could just be <laughs> angry at everyone involved in that game but yeah Zach McMath probably doesn't have that same sauce to get the job done
1: All right, so short of an emergency loan for Davidocho, we think, uh, might be uh, a bridge too far for RSL. My final question for you, uh, Joe Lowry, you mentioned it a couple times in there. You kind of have your tiers of playoff teams. Who do you have in that first tier, that top tier of contenders?
0: So I think LAFC and Philly are probably in a class of their own at the very top, and they are helped in a big way by the fact that they don't have to play in the first round. At least I I think that should be a help, and it seems like a lot of, of the number crunchers out there agree with me. Montreal and ah, NYCFC are maybe in the second tier by themselves. Montreal might just be in a tier all on their own. Then you're looking at teams like NYCFC and the Red Bulls and the Galaxy and Nashville. Nashville might be up in that Montreal tier just because I do like their their ability and their, their style for the postseason. Then you have Austin and Dallas sort of in there and then I think in the bottom tier. Maybe Cincy and the Red Bulls are up in that tier. You have Miami and Orlando and maybe Cincinnati and RSL and Minnesota. Those teams are kind of filling out that that final tier for me.
1: And how excited are you for when FC Cincinnati wins this whole thing and you get this thrown back in your face by FC Cincinnati?
0: Good, yeah. I'm I'm looking very forward to that, Taylor. Wow, i just so excited about it. I just forgot how to speak English there for a second. <laughs> yeah, if Austin or Cincinnati win, I'm really excited for all of the very nice things that they're going to say about those of us who were foolish <laughs> enough to make preseason predictions.
1: Uh, Graham, I want to ask you for a prediction. What I will ask is, from from doing your research, from preparing for this show, who are the teams that you are just the most excited to watch in the playoffs for whatever reason? Cincinnati. Just for the fact that
2: their attack is so good. And it nah, feels I feel like, like. I feel like you're continue. trolling Joe now. I feel like you're trolling <laughs> Joe with that answer. But continue. Yeah. And, and also, I look forward to uh, how Cincinnati's Twitter admin would respond to that. I, I feel like they've got Joe Lowry's Twitter handle ready to go for ahead of these playoffs. To be honest, though, Joe, it feels like there's a lot of teams in, the, in this playoff, in these playoffs, in this postseason that uh, might tweet you to troll you if they do well. Like Austin FC, they've already done it this yep. season, haven't they? Yeah. The Red Bulls have got history for it. Maybe you should just not make predictions in the future and just ignore Ryan Bailey. I just try to be nice. Ryan asked
0: me to make predictions. MLS asked me to make <laughs> predictions. I try to be nice and do what they ask. Yeah, maybe next year is the year that stops and I go full anti-prediction just to avoid getting dragged over the coals every year. <laughs>
1: Joe Lowry predicts that next year is the year he goes anti prediction. <laughs> uh, I like that. Uh, I predict that next season w- I will continue to not be confident in my spelling of Cincinnati. That's one of those yes. words. No matter how many times I try to memorize it, try to make sure I know it, I will never feel 100% sure uh, I'm spelling it correctly. Graham, sounds like you were in the same boat.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that is most annoying is that my autocorrect hasn't actually cottoned onto the fact right? that I want to spell Cincinnati. Like it changes things for me, like, Arson Wenger becomes Arlene Wenger but Helpful. they won't change the like the the T that I've missed out in Cincinnati to actual Cincinnati spelling frustrating come on apple get it together for
0: a while my autocorrect just didn't correct me right it, it just said yep. like oh this is the right way to spell Cincinnati and it's not and I don't know what happened who's playing this cruel practical joke but I also struggle with Cincinnati, I got a little bit better at it this year, but it could be two ends at the beginning, it could be two ends in the middle, or it could be two T's at the end. It is the middle ends that are doubled. But I mean, how are we supposed to remember that, guys? This is beyond us.
1: To be honest, I'm mostly fixated on the name Arlene Wenger. I need that to be one of his siblings. I need that to be a pseudonym <laughs> he goes by in a very not convincing way. Either way, I love that. I love this show because I feel very prepared for the playoffs. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Graham, thank you uh, for being uh, honest in your spelling letdowns, but also uh, in your <laughs> viewing habits. I've very much enjoyed this
2: one. Thank you, Taylor Rotwell.
1: And Joe Lowry, of course. Thank you for all your preparation, for having all that knowledge, for Paying attention to the regular season from start to finish and caring about the Supporters' Shield. Oh, hey, right back at you. Hey, there it is. (laughs) On that phenomenal note, listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all again soon.